All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for 1 Samuel chapter 8. So I just want to remind you guys where we've been. Last week, um, Samuel has been raised up as the judge. We're in that season of judges. And the, the term changes at this point in the Bible from judge to prophet. And so it's really along that same class of the judges. But Samuel is the prophet of Israel. And he... Um, He's raised up and and Eli, who was the the high priest, the function of high priest in Israel is um, was there all the way until the time of Jesus. And so that the the high priest is of all the priests of the Levi, the tribe of Levi, and God designated the tribe of Levi to be the priestly tribe. So um, it happened at a point in their history. We studied it in Genesis, if you remember, but God, um, one of the tribes of Israel was not doing what they were supposed to do. And God called the council of each of the 12 tribe leaders. And he asked them to deal with the in-house problem. And none of the tribes would um, step up except for the tribe of Levi. And the tribe of Levi stepped up and it was actually kind of a civil war type of issue that was going on in Israel. And, and from that point forward, um, God designated the tribe of Levi to handle all all the duties. The tribe of Levi did not get an inheritance in, in land when the allotment happened. They they didn't really have jobs other than doing the temple. God provided that that the, the offerings and the burnt offerings and the all the offerings that the tribe of Levi would get a portion of that is how they would live, how they would sustain the uh, two sons of the high priest at the time, which was Eli, we saw last week. His two sons' names were Phineas and Ferb and Phineas and Ferb were, were very wicked. And, and one of the um, accepted practices when you came and you brought your burnt offering to the house of the Lord to be um, offered to the Lord, the priest was given a, um, I forget what it's called, a flesh hook, a, something that he would use to a fork basically that he would use and he would stick it in the pot and whatever came up was what he fed his family with. It's what he ate. It's what he was allowed to take. It was, it was designed for the portion. Well, the two sons of Eli were um, stopping the people before they started it. And they were saying, no, we're not going to use that. We want it before you, before you cook it. And we want to choose the best. And they were taking it. And then they were, believe it or not, the Bible says that they were sleeping with the women that were coming into the house of the Lord and misusing um, their, their authority. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a sin, terrible sin, but it's even worse when it's the leaders of the church, the leaders of the house of God, they were guilty and they were guilty of you name it. They were stealing, they were, they were fornicating and, and they were wicked. And the result of that is that people don't want to worship the Lord. There's a verse in the Bible that says it gives the occasion of the enemy occasion to blaspheme God. And one of the biggest, um, you know, hurtful things is, you know, when a pastor falls, when a leader falls into some kind of sexual sin or other sins, it gives the occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme, right? Because what is the world going to say? What are the enemies of God going to say when they see the pastor falls into, you know, in this same age old story, unfortunately, the pastor runs away with the church secretary and, and the church bank account. And, and the enemies of God then say, I told you so. And it's hurtful and it hurts the church and hurts those in the church. And, and this is happening. And again, it, it prevents people from coming to God. And one of the things that we saw last week is that it, it angers the Lord. And, and, and really, you know, in the life of Jesus, there was only a couple times where Jesus really gets upset. And it's the same occasion. It's when people keep other people from coming to God. And we never want to be guilty of that. Jesus said concerning people who keep children from coming to God, what did he say about them? He said it would be better if what? 
if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the deepest of ocean, then you teach one of, one of my little ones to sin. And so um, Eli, uh, his two sons, Phinehas and Ferb, they're dealt with. They're killed in this battle with the Philistines. Eli gets the news that the Ark of God is captured. Um, Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall and breaks his neck. He dies. Um, his his daughter-in-law, I don't, can't remember if she's Phinehas or Ferb's wife, has a son. And she names his name Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. And then the Philistines capture the ark. You remember the story, right? They set it in the house of Dagon. Dagon falls down one day. They help Dagon out and they pick him back up. The next day they come back. His hands and his head are falling off. And then they take the ark of God and they want to return it to Israel. They want to be sure, though, that all these boils and all these things as they pass it through the cities of the five major Philistine cities, that it's just not coincidence. So they, they tie it to um, a cow and they separate her from her calves and they let her loose. And if, and if she goes to her calves, which would be her natural instinct, then it was coincidence. And if she goes um, any other direction, then they, they know it was the Lord and the, cow, the cows run straight to Israel and the ark of God is returned. Well, the ark of God creates problems for the Israelites there and they don't know what to do with it. And, um, and they open it and look inside it. And I forget what the number was, but thousands died. And so they sent it up to Kirjath Jerium, where it's going to remain for about 20 years until as we get later in the story where King David is going to um, bring the ark of, of, of God back into the house of God. And that will get, I think, I don't think we get that till second Samuel um, where, where David is going to bring the ark. So now the ark is up there. It's just going to hold there for a while as we go. And then uh, we get to this uh, point at chapter 8 where we are today where Israel is going to demand, demand a king of the Lord. Now, one of the things I just want to highlight is, is one of the marks of where we are in Israel's history right here that, that is a lesson for us as we study through this Old Testament section is prayerlessness. Okay, We talked about it last week. Do you remember last week when we talked about it? And what happened last week when when they were getting ready to go to battle against the Philistines, it says, let's go get the ark and and bring it and it will help us and it will save us and it will deliver us and it will. But no, no um, distinction of prayer. And what we talked about last week was that, um, you know, they should have learned something from the life of Joshua. And, and the life of Joshua and the life of those conquests through, through the book of Joshua, many, 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 many conquests, 39, 40 something battles through the book of Joshua, that every one of them, except for one, Joshua prays and he says, God, should we go up? And he seeks the Lord. And, and we get this conduit of, of conversation between Joshua and the Lord about all of the, every one of the battles. Only at Ai did Joshua not seek the Lord. And that's where they went down and they got their butts kicked. And, and so they had that amazing victory against Jericho, huge city, huge army. And then just a little tiny city, Ai was next. And Joshua just sent the group down without pausing and praying. And they, and then from that point on, Joshua's constantly, you know, stopping and asking the Lord. And, and really, as we go through the entire Old Testament, this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit records for us. And it should be something that we should pick up on. We're going to spend all this time going through the Old Testament. Let's at least, you know, put that in our bag and apply that, that it, it is a key lesson in life. Um, that, that we just pause and we ask the Lord about decisions in our life. We ask God about, you know, things and we pray constantly about what it, you know, in any decision, 
Because I think for our lives, we're not going up, right? Are you guys, anybody going to go out tomorrow and fight a Philistine army with swords and literally? And, and so we, we, we look at that and we say, well, we're not fighting Philistines with swords. But, but that's a picture of battles that you fight today, right? Because the things in the Old Testament that were physical, they're spiritual in the New Testament. And so you fight spiritual battles. Your kid's struggling at school. That's you fighting AI, that's a, that's a battle in your life that, that you want to seek the Lord for. And so pausing and praying about those areas of your life, asking God for wisdom. And, you know, I want to encourage you guys, too, that as you, as you get in a habit of seeking the Lord and just doing that, I think sometimes we get discouraged because we don't always get an, an own voice coming out of the sky. Oh, Angie, turn left at the next light, you know, like. And so we think, well, I, you know, I don't really hear and I don't really know. You know, I'm like, I'm wasting my time. But listen, you're not. And, and God will speak to you. And, and the, the wisdom is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Right? Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. That was a bad paraphrase, huh? What did I miss? Say it for me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct your paths. So, you know... If you do, if you're obedient to that, and then it comes decision time and you still don't really feel like you've had this amazing revelation, then, you know, you, but you've done your diligence. And I think you, you'll find yourself, you know, falling in the right direction. So we, we see this section and, and the lesson is that they, they, there's no really mention of them in these major decisions, pausing and praying. And, and so we'll, we'll highlight that as we go through now. Israel is going to demand a king. Let's read a little bit. Let's talk about it. Now it came to pass in verse number one, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judge over Israel. And the name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. So unfortunately, Samuel, who is an amazing character in the Bible, um, somehow, and for whatever reason, I don't know, and I, but he, he didn't raise godly sons. And his sons more followed in the footsteps of Phineas and Ferb than in his own footsteps. And so, you know, in, in Calvary Chapel, we have you know, thousands of Calvary Chapel pastors. And, you know, once a year we get together with all the Calvary Chapel pastors. And, you know, in the room of, of 800 pastors, senior pastors, you know, you have stories of, of different children that are rebellious and that have, that have walked away from the Lord. And, you know, even, um, you know, Lydia's dad and, and, and her brothers at seasons have, have been in rebellion and rebellious and walked away from the Lord. Chuck Smith's own son for a season walked away from the Lord and didn't walk with the Lord. And so it, it is difficult because it, it you know, sometimes you, you think, you know, you failed as a parent. And, and, and there's possibly things you could have done differently and better. But at the same time, um, you, you, see, you see great men and, and great godly men who who have rebellious children. And, you know, I, I think the thing that comforts me the most, and my kids are young now, it's yet to see whether, where, where they're going to end up. But, you know, I, I remember somebody told me one time, and, you know, maybe I was younger and looking at, at judging or in my heart, maybe judging a pastor whose sons weren't walking with the Lord as if the pastor did something wrong or failed. Or, and whether it's a pastor or whether it's you as a Christian who have children that are rebellious, and they said to me, well, the, the, who, who's the the greatest father who's who's the good good father 
Well, the Lord, Jesus, is a good, good father. And does he have rebellious children? Did he fail? So God didn't fail. And what that speaks to is that every one of us have a choice, right? And God's kids have a choice. And our kids have a choice. Your kids have a choice. My kids have a choice. You know, Lydia and I's personal opinion on on raising kids is that, you know, the, the, the difficulty is, you know, you can make decisions in your house that force your kids to, um, while they're under your authority, to do certain things to walk with the Lord. And I think there are certain things that are wise in that area. But the, the, get, the skill is to get them to want to walk with the Lord so that it's their own decision and giving them maybe in places certain freedoms that, um, you know, because the reality is they're, they're going to be adults soon. My kids are going to be adults soon and they're going to be making choices for themselves. And I can, I can make them all for them right now and, and put my thumb on top of them and stand on their shoulders, but that's only going to work for a season. And come that season when they're making decisions for themselves, I want them to want to walk with the Lord. That's the only way it's going to work is that they got to want to walk with the Lord. And so, you know, trying not to make them bitter against God and bitter against me and our rules and our, and our house. And yet, yet there is a wisdom in, you know, in, in some of the things. Like one of the things I share with you guys that we do is that we, um, the kids have to read their Bible every day. You know, and they don't rebel against it too bad. They don't hate it too bad. They understand it. It doesn't create a problem. And, you know, it's not like, when they get older, they're going to say, you know, because here's, here's the fear, right? And I've seen this. My, my Uncle John, amazing, you know, uncle, my dad's brother, loved the Lord. But it was in a very, he called it a, what do they call it? A full gospel is what he used to call it. Full gospel, basically Holy Roller Church. But um, very conservative. Women had to wear dresses, long dresses, and lots of rules. Their kids never drank soda, couldn't watch TV. And, you know, and my cousins um, growing up were under my 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 uncle John's thumb and for them, and it's just one particular case, they, when they became adults, almost every one of them went crazy and rebelled. And everybody said that, you know, they had zero freedoms as kids their whole lives. And now they, they got off to college and they got out of the house and every one of them went crazy. And, and that, you know, it doesn't necessarily work. Now, now again, I'm not, I'm not making blanket statements over everybody's parenting style, but that's one of the fears but for, for, you know, finding places like them reading their Bibles every day, you know, at, at least with the kids when they're, you know, because you might be afraid, oh, when they, when they get on their own, they get out of the house and be like, I'm never reading my Bible again. My dad made me read my Bible every day of my life and I'm not, and now I'm, I don't, you know, but that, 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 hopefully that doesn't happen. I don't think it will. And the other good thing is, you know, by the time they're 18, they will have read the Bible every day of their lives as long as they can read. And so, um, you know, really quickly, another side note, I'm still on verse three and then we're going to move on in the Bible. And I, I share this sometimes the Bible has, and I used to share, right. That the Bible has three people that God records no sin and no failure in their lives. Only three. You guys know who they are? One is easy. You should get one. Okay. Four then <laughs> not counting Jesus characters in the Bible. Three, so Joseph is one. The other one I, I mentioned on Sunday. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. Not John the Baptist. John the Baptist has mentioned failure when he, when he doubted. Not he, well, Enoch, I guess, would be another kind of one where you can make a case for, but he doesn't say a lot. Not Elijah. Elijah has mentioned failure. 
It's Daniel. So it's Joseph, Daniel, and the third one, um, I would say, is Samuel, who we're reading about here. But verse 3 can kind of, maybe you, you can make a case that verse 3 is a mentioned failure in Samuel's life. That Samuel raised sons that didn't walk with the Lord. And so, but other than this, you don't have any recorded mention of, of sin in Samuel's life. But basically, the, again, it's Joseph, Daniel, and Samuel are the three that the Bible doesn't record any sin. And you think Isaiah, what's interesting, Isaiah chapter 6 um, is, is the verse when he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the glory. And, and he brought the, the angel brought the coal and he touched my lips and he, and he mentions his sin in that verse that, that the, the coal cleansed him of his sins. In verse four, it says, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. You know, I can remember when, uh, Lydia's brothers were going through some teenage stuff and in rebellion. And um, there's a verse in the New Testament that says, you know, that, that if, if you're not fit to rule, if, if those in your household are not in subjection and not under rule. And I can remember people telling, you know, or having the opinion or saying to Pastor Gerald that he was, you know, not fit to lead because his sons were rebellious. And, um, you know, and that's not biblical. And, and again, you know, right down to Pastor Chuck that, that at times kids are kids and they have their own choices. And that's none of our hearts. And, you know, John tells us, um, Apostle John says that I find no greater joy in life than that my kids walk with the Lord. And for each one of us, you know, the thing is, you know, your kids, your kids bring you the most joy and the most pain in life. You know, and little kids, you know, they, 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 they squeeze your heart and it hurts. And adult kids drive over it with a Mack truck. You know, you think the pain, the pain of what adult kids can do just multiplies as, as that pain happens. And, you know, we all know that, experience that. If we have kids and seen that, that there's no greater joy than to see our kids walk with the Lord. And so again, but we have, we have examples of, of, of godly men and women who, whose kids didn't always walk with the Lord. And, you know, I don't want to make an excuse either because I don't, I, I don't think that, you know, we should make excuses that if our kids just are, are rebellious and walking with the Lord, oh, it's just not my fault. You know, I'm sure in some case, and, and in a lot of cases, we, we could all look back and see where, you know, maybe there's some things we could have done differently. And, you know, and if we're looking forward, then look forward to those things that, that you know, we can, we can do better. So, all right. But the thing displeased, verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now, just a quick history, kind of twofold. God's intention for his people is that they would never have a king. God designed Israel so that they would be a theocracy. A theocracy means governed by God or ruled by God. Now, they want to become a a, a monarchy or they want to have a king. They said, give us a king like the other nations. Now, why did they ask Samuel to give them a king? What was in it that, that made them want a king? Well, a king provided security. A king had an army. 
A king um, is somebody that, that would rule. And the other nations had kings and they didn't have any kings. They didn't have any rulership. They had a prophet who would bring the voice of God. And so in, in essence, the first mistake is that it was a lack of trust that God was going to provide, that God was going to protect, that God was going to take care of them. You know, in light of everything that they'd been through to this point in their history, you would think, wouldn't you think that they would trust God by now? That they had seen enough of God's hand and provision in their lives that, that they would just trust the Lord. You know, and, and be careful before we judge them too hard because, you know, we're no different. I'm sure there's enough in your life. I'm positive there's enough in my life that I've seen that I know that I can trust the Lord with every part of my life. And yet I still struggle in the areas of trusting God, of giving God every part of my life. Well, well, well they, they, they were in rebellion and they want a king like the other nations. Now, God, again, he never intended for, for any king in any time in Israel's history to rule over Israel. It was always God's perfect will and intention that God uh, or that, that Israel would be a theocracy, a, a nation ruled by God. And one day we will be in the millennium and we'll be a theocracy again. We'll be a nation ruled by, by God. Now, but also in, in Deuteronomy, there are rules that when they ask for a king, these are the rules of the king. So God knowing, according to his foreknowledge, even though his desire was that they would never have a king and that he would be their king, he put provisions in the law of Moses for what would happen once they had a king because he knew that one day this, this day was going to come and they were going to ask for a king. And it's so... Um, in verse 7, it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. And that's an important verse, number 7, highlight it, underline it. And so God is encouraging Samuel, and Samuel who's displeased and hurt and broken, and God says, listen, they, they, they haven't rejected you, they're actually rejecting me. And, and again, that's the same as a New Testament principle. Jesus said, if they hate you... Don't be offended because they hate me. You know, I can remember, um, how many of you guys have, have seen any of Bill Weiss's ministry? Bill Weiss is the guy who um, does the study 23 Minutes in Hell. Anybody seen his stuff on Facebook, his movie? He has a sermon that um, he shares a testimony. Um, and you could check it out. I'd highly recommend you checking it out. Um, you know, everybody has an opinion on, on what he says and what he saw, but I'm, I'm a big fan of his ministry, of his books, of, of his work. And um, basically, he tells a story, a real story, about a vision he had of hell and, and that he was um, seeing hell in a vision and, and learned. And so he teaches a lot about hell. He goes through all the scriptures. I think there's like 300 scriptures in his message of, of different verses and descriptions of hell that are all consistent with this vision that he had. And um, one of the things that he says in his message, he asked the Lord, you know, why did they hate me so bad? Because there was this hatred, this vitriolic hate that he felt in this vision and this experience that he had um, with demons and hell. And he says, why? he asked the Lord, why do they hate me so bad? And the answer the Lord gave him was, they don't hate you, they hate me. And I'm in you. And, and, and so for our lives as well, you know, the world should hate you. Jesus said, don't be shocked when the world hates you. Actually, you should be shocked if everybody in the world who's non-Christians love you. Because then there's, there's more of an issue that you're fitting in where you, maybe you shouldn't fit in. 
But the reality is that, that if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. And so the Lord tells Samuel basically this principle. And then in verse 8, he says, According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, which they have t- forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. And now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked for him for a king. And he said, listen to this. This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He said, okay, you want a king? I'll give you, God's going to give you a king. But listen to what, what you're asking for. Know what you're asking for before you get it. You know, it's a lesson for us to be careful if we beg the Lord for things, right? Pastor Chuck tells a funny story about a girl that he was in love with in high school and he was begging God to um, give him this girl and, and, and he wanted this girl for his wife and he was praying and asking God for this relationship to work out. And when he was sharing this, he just got back from his 25th high school reunion and he says, now, don't be mad at me. This is what Chuck said, not me. He said, um, time didn't treat her well. <laughs> and he said, I was at that point very thankful that the Lord didn't answer my prayer. And so, um, you know, taking no as an answer is, is, a, is a skill, I guess, that, that, that pays dividends in the end. And, and unfortunately, what happens is we get um, offended, we get hurt, we, we get our feelings hurt by the Lord, we feel like God doesn't care, and, and he's telling you no. But listen, if God's telling you no, receive that. He has your best interests in hand. He knows what's best for you. He, he wants, he, he, when you tell your kids no, is it because you hate them and because you just want the worst for them and you tell them no because you just want to spite them? Why do you tell your kids no? Because whatever they're asking for, you feel in your your best of your ability, it's not good for them. It's not going to bless them. It's not going to help them. And God is no different. But, But we, what happens when your kids just keep asking? You know, I don't know about with kids. I'll use my wife as an example. But if I want, you know, and I keep asking her and I keep asking her and she says to me, fine. (laughs) That's scary, right? Because <laughs> that don't mean fine. <laughs> that means you're going to pay for it. And, and you know what? We find examples in the Bible where, you know, men continue to beg God for the same thing and God allows it. And it never turns out good. You remember the king, Hezekiah, I think it is, isn't it Hezekiah who asked for 10 more years? He's given a word by the prophet that he's going to die. And he goes to the Lord and he begins to beg for, for God not to, not to, for him not to die, not to die. And God tells him, no, 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 no. And he continues to ask. And God says, okay. And God grants him 10 more years. And, and in that 10 years, the worst absolute things in his life and for the nation of Israel, terrible, terrible 10 years of life. And God said, yes. You remember Balaam? Balaam is the prophet who wanted to, um, wanted to speak prophecy over Israel for the king Balak. And Balak came to Balaam and said, I can make you very rich. And, ba- and Balaam went to the Lord and he said, can I go? Can I go? Please, can I go? Can I go? And the Lord said, no. And he said, please, 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 can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And the Lord said, no. And he kept asking. He kept asking. And God said, fine. So he went. And there was an angel of the Lord in the road with a huge sword that was going to cut Balaam's head off if it wasn't for what? Donkey. Balaam's donkey 
who stopped and wouldn't go. And Balaam starts beating his donkey. And then the donkey talks to him and he says, haven't I been a good donkey to you all these years? What are you hitting me for? And the crazy part of the story is Balaam doesn't skip a beat and just talks back to the donkey. You know, you think at that point he'd be so shocked that he just, but he just starts having a conversation with the donkey. And then God opens his eyes and he sees the angel in the, in the road that was going to kill him. And so, you know, taking no from the Lord, you know, the best prayer that we can pray. And I encourage you guys in every prayer that you pray, take the example of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And what is that? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You know, you know, I don't, I don't get so bummed out. You know, sometimes people come to me and they say, they say, oh, pastor, I, I you know, I, I got fired. Oh, pastor, I, I, I didn't get the job I applied for. I, you know, didn't get this. And, and at the time it's upsetting. I understand. And I want to be sensitive to that, but I, I never get too shaken by those things. You know, you guys have all heard the story in some form or another. I've told it several times. But that the, the, the st- couple about, you know, the couple that has a has a baby and, the, and the, they come home and they the ba- they announce to the neighborhood, the baby's a boy. And the neighbor says, oh, that's wonderful. You had a boy. And the father says, how do you know? And then the boy grows up and um, somebody comes and they 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 gift this this family a horse. And the na- same neighbor says, oh, wow, that is so wonderful. Somebody gave you a horse. And the dad says, how do you know? And then the boy's riding the horse and he, he falls off and breaks his leg. And the neighbor guy says, oh, that's terrible. Your son broke his leg. He says, how do you know? And then a week later, the army's coming through um, town and they're recruiting all the, all the boys in the town for war. And this boy can't go because his leg is broken. And the neighbor comes and says, oh, that's wonderful. Your son doesn't have to go to the war. And the dad says, how do you know? You know, and you, you just never know in the things that are the Lord's. And that's why, listen, I think this is really cool. The, the big picture lesson is to always do what? Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. That's why we, we study these stories. That's why we have them is because ultimately in your life as a Christian, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord in everything. Trust the Lord that God has your best interest in hand. Even if something goes awry. You know, for me, the life lesson was when I was a brand new Christian. I was living in Hemet, California. I was working for a construction company called Structural Seating. We fixed um, high school gymnasium bleachers, mostly. Some colleges, but mostly was bleachers that were in gymnasiums, basketball gyms. And um, I was driving with a a guy to a job um, in like Elko, Nevada, and it was a long drive. And um, this guy is a heathen. And um, I asked him as a young, brand new Christian, green, you know, um, if I could pray and he was not very happy about it, but he allowed me to pray and stop the car long enough, the truck before we took off to let me pray for our trip. And I prayed and just, and in my prayer, I said, Lord, I, you know, we ask you for travel mercies and da 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 Jesus name. Amen. So we go and we're on the trip and we're on 395, somewhere between California and Reno. And, um, we have a nasty blowout and we got a trailer, a big, huge truck, trailer full of full of equipment welders and wood and all kinds of stuff i mean who knows how much we weighed and he he's driving and, blah, 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 and we get the car pulled over and everything's fine but it was a pretty nasty blowout um going at you know 60 70 miles an hour and by and this is hours later and as soon as he pulls over the car 
He looks at me immediately. So much for your travel mercies. That's what you've been thinking about for five hours, you know, was me praying five hours ago and asking God for travel mercies and so much for your travel mercies. And being a young Christian and not knowing nothing, I didn't know what to say and I felt embarrassed and I felt like God blew that one because it was a good opportunity to witness to this guy. But today I would have looked at him and said, how do you know? <laughs> you know, and, and the reality is, right, it's true. That flat tire, it probably was our travel mercies. Maybe in, in a mile down the road, we would have hit a deer and all died. We would have hit a car and something terrible would have happened. And the flat tire was God's travel mercy that kept us from a bad situation a mile down the road. And so, but we, we, we blow that tire out and, and what do we do? Oh God, why if you loved us, this tire wouldn't blow out. And, you know, we have that kind of moaning attitude, but sometimes the flat tire is God's travel mercies. Amen. Amen. So, um. So in verse 11, this is what he's going to tell them. Um, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots and he will appoint captains over his over his thousands and captains over his fifties. And he will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipments for his chariots. And he will take your daughters to to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants and he will cry out in the day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but we will have a king over us. So verse 19, I don't know if that's saying that at this point they, they had an opportunity then to take the original no as an answer. And even after the warning of what was going to happen, they doubled down and they, they, they stiff necked and they said, we, we don't care. We still want a king to rule over us. And then in verse 20, it says that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And so it comes to the crux of the matter again, that they're looking for security in a king, that a king will go out and fight our battles. Now, um, one of the themes of the Old Testament that we highlight all the time is that our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. We sing about it. We highlight it. It's a theme in those in that um, all the way through, right? Some of the greatest stories of the um, Old Testament are the idea that God will fight for us. And so many times God calls the nation of Israel um, to, to show up. You know, you think of Gideon, right? And, and his 300 men. Really, God was going to fight the battle the whole time. But he called these 300 men to show up ready for battle. And then when it, when it finally came down to it, God fought the battle. God fought the battle. And that's the way it works in your life and my life. Show up. Do your diligence. Stand, therefore. And when you've done all to stand, stand. 
And then, and then as you show up in faith, as you step out, then God fights the battle for you. And this is something they're rebelling against as they say that, that we want this king to fight our battles when God's intention was that he would fight their battles. And Samuel heard all, all the words of the people and repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. That, that's kind of a funny verse to me, but I guess that's the way we do it, right? Like, like God didn't hear what the people said. So Samuel goes, Lord, you'll never believe what they said. They said this and they said that. And the Lord's like, I know I was there. (laughs) But he told him nonetheless. Um, Sometimes maybe it's just good for us to repeat those things as we pray and just communicate with God. It's kind of what prayer is. It's never telling God something he doesn't already know, you know, but it it is communicating. You know, it's like um, in your marriages, men, skill for you is, is to allow your wife to do exactly that with you, to tell you those things that, you know, that are just repeating things. Maybe you already know and just her relating to you her day or what happened and you have to listen and you have to, it's communicating and it's relational and it's healthy and it's the way that God designed her to need to just tell you all those things. And so, you know, I, I guarantee you, I know every detail of everything that goes on at Horsley Orthodontics. I promise you, you want to know about anything at Horsley Orthodontics, you don't need to ask Lydia. You just ask me because I know. I will tell you because I hear it about a half hour every day, um, three days a week at least. I, I, I'm hearing it now, whether I'm listening or not, but I'm hearing it. I'm there. My flesh is there. And, and I know everything that's going on at Horsley Orthodontics. And so, but you know what, it is a part of, you know, Lydia's day. It's important to her, you know, and it's not information that I need to know. It's information that, that she needs to talk, that she needs to get out and she needs to share. And so I listen intently and I I take notes and, and so in verse 22, it says, so the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. And in chapter 9, it says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zior, the son of Bicharath, and the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Ooh, how'd you like the Lord to say that about you? This is Matt, a mighty man of power, recorded for you in the scriptures. And he had a choice and a handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. How about those compliments? He was a mighty man of power. That's dad. And I mean, the Lord doesn't, doesn't hand out compliments really, really that often. He really doesn't, you know. Um, and, and here he says that he was the most handsome There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. So this guy was Rico Suave. He was a bag of chips and all that and a bag of chips. And from his shoulders upward, he was taller than than any of the people. So this guy was physically blessed of God. I mean, to be head and shoulders taller than anybody means that the the, the closest guy in top of his head was at, at Saul's shoulders. So if, you know, if, I, if I'm six foot and I come up to somebody's shoulders, that makes them six, seven, six, eight. So tall, Saul is super tall guy. He's built well. He's super, super handsome. He's got long, long hair that's, that's wavy and perfect. And it says um, he dies by that hair anyways, though. But 
Oh, that was Absalom. Same thing. And in verse 2, it says, And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel from his shoulders up. I already read that. Verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha. But they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. And when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and now become worried about us. So that's a nice thing for his son to say. That, you know, he knew his dad would care about them more than the donkeys. And they'd been out looking for him for a while and couldn't find him. And so they said, you know, Saul said, well, let's go home because dad's going to be worried about us. And he said to him, look, now there is in the city a man of God who is an honorable man. man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And then Saul said to his servants, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? And so I'm assuming there was a, a custom to, to come to the prophet and bring him a gift. And again, the prophet would have um, made a living from his ministry and, and from the gifts of the people that um, were there. And so Saul, again, um, really quickly, I'm not sure if you, I'm not sure when to go through this. You might as well do it now. But I'm not sure how familiar you are with the person of Saul. So I just want to briefly lay him out. Saul was, um, he's going to be anointed the first king of Israel. What's interesting about Saul is when God mentions the first king of Israel, he always mentions David, never Saul. And even though technically Saul is going to reign for a season as the first king of Israel, in God's eyes, um, he's not recognized as the first king and that, that he's, he's overlooked. Saul starts, as we see here, of somebody with amazing potential, um, somebody who was handsome, somebody who was tall, somebody who the people could get behind, and somebody who was caring, somebody who um, was a humble, we're going to see in a minute. And Saul goes from somebody who had great beginnings to somebody who was um, a type of antichrist, that bad. The, the, the man Saul, the young man here, you know, and I've heard people say, oh, you know, Saul was just terrible king, which he was, and he was a terrible ruler, and he made all these mistakes, but they never give him credit that he started well. And Saul was great in the beginning. He really was. He had such amazing potential, and he made so many wise decisions. And we're going to read here in a minute where he, he, again, he just counted on the Lord, and he was humble. And it's going to come to the point in Saul's life where Saul's going to murder priests. He's going to murder children of Levi in the house of God He's going to consult mediums um, and, and seek the devil for wisdom and decisions in his life. And, and he is, in essence, going to become a type of Christ. But the wrong type. He's, gonna, he's a picture in the Old Testament of, of an antichrist. And, and then David, who is a picture of Jesus, is, is coming next. And so, again, if you're not familiar with um, the person of Saul in this story... Just so you know, this is Saul who starts well and, and becomes a travesty um, in Israel. <clears throat> I'm sorry, you guys. Give me a second. I got to.
So it says, um, verse 8. And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver, and I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he, for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. And then Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up to the hill, the city, they met some young woman going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they said to them and said, Yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. And as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will eat, will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are in, invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So I, I just think it's interesting that in verse 9, it's almost like a commentary here that um, the man was formerly called a seer. And the reason maybe the, the author, the writer here highlights that is because the idea of being a seer is related to the occult or demonic, and it's cursed in the Bible. And so at some point in Israel's history, the term um, for prophet was seer, and it was changed to prophet, and the devil got the seer term. You know, that happens all the time. People steal our terms all the time, right? There's a group who call themselves Christian, who technically, as we know, are not Christian, but it's a term. And, you know, the term gay at one point actually meant happy, and, you know, now it means something else. And so the, this term seer, which today and, and, and even biblically is related to the occult and forbidden and, you know, prohibited at one point was the term they'd use in Israel. And so they, he highlights that. And then in verse 14, it says, so they went up to the city as they were coming into the city. There was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying now real quickly. One of the one of the reasons it's very important for us to do devotions, for us to spend time with the Lord, for us to every day allow God to speak to you is because oftentimes God is preparing you for something that's going to happen tomorrow. And, and I think God, God covers maybe some of these things in grace, but there's times in your life. I know there's times in my life where I was so thankful that I heard God the day before for something I needed the next day. There's been other times in my life where I, I've not set time aside and, and probably missed something that God was wanted to prepare me for. You know, we use the term prayed up. Are you prayed up? You know, in the in the New Testament, those guys came with the demon-possessed child and the disciples. And then they brought the child to Jesus and they said, your disciples could not cast this demon out. And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Now, at that moment, there was no time for the disciples to say, okay, let me pause and fast and pray. And then, you know, that, but had they been prepared prior to that meeting, unbeknownst that it was coming up, but just doing devotions and being relational with God and spending time hearing from the Lord and had decided in their lives to spend a, a time of fasting and praying, then they would have been prayed up. You know, you never know what tomorrow holds. You never know what tonight holds. So part of, you know, our wisdom in life and for Samuel here, 
You know, let's say he missed that day's devotions and he just didn't spend. He got busy like we all do. And he didn't spend any time with the Lord and give God. Because oftentimes it's just giving God opportunity to speak to you. It's really what it is. It's, it's pausing long enough in your day so, so God can tell you what he wants to tell you. He has so many things to say to you. He wants to love you and prepare you. And when we do devotions and when we pause and when we pray, we, you know, we're really good at talking in those things. And, you know, but we're not great at listening. And, and listening is, is a developed skill that you want to incorporate in your daily devotions where you try to just allow God to speak to your heart something. So thankfully here, um, Samuel had spent his time with the Lord and God had pre, pre-warned him that, hey, tomorrow this guy's going to come. And when he comes, this is what, you know, I want you to do. And so then when he saw Saul, he was prepared. And so when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord had told him, this is the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. And then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me where is the seer's house? And Samuel answered and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will let you go. And I will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them for they have been found and on whom is all the desire of Israel. It is on you and on your father's house. Did, um, did Saul ask Samuel about the donkeys? Samuel just knew, right? He didn't say, Hey, I can't, you know, he knew he, as soon as he approached him, Hey, I want to have dinner with you. Oh, and by the way, don't worry about those donkeys you're looking for. They've already been found. You know, sometimes that happens in preaching too. You know, oftentimes people, um, pastors, leaders get accused of, of pointing a sermon at somebody or how did you know, or you, you know, that was meant for me. You were looking at me when you said it. And you know, that, that's, that's one of the beauties of teaching the, the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse is, you know, it's harder for me to aim my sermons at, at you or at something. And if you ever feel like, you know, I was aiming something at you, then, you know, just know it's the Holy Spirit. And it's the way God works, you know, and we know, and the Lord knows where we need to be in the scripture, when we need to be there. And, you know, I, I think the, the lesson that, that my pastor taught me was as you teach through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, when you come to a hard topic, never skirt it cover it, teach it. And, and the Lord knows where you need to be, when you need to be there. And so, um, you know, it helps. You don't have to point your sermon or machine gun your sermon at somebody. You know, if you have an issue going on in church and you, you know, you prepare a sermon to deal with something kind of backhand and, you know, then you show up that week with this, this machine gun loaded and you're going to deal with this situation from the sermon. And, you know, invariably what happens? Those people that you loaded it for, they don't show up. You know, and they don't hear it anyways. And so it's, it's nice. You don't have to do that. When I got saved, I was listening to Dr. Charles Stanley. I was watching on TV and he was, he was teaching a message and, you know, don't know the Lord. I'm, I'm in a bad situation in life and I, I get saved. I ask Jesus in my heart. I'm born again in that moment alone in my room. And, and I can remember to this day, the overwhelming feeling like, that guy just exactly described every part of my life and what I'm going through. How does he know all that? Now, if he wasn't on a TV filming from seven states away, I might have accused somebody of telling him something about me or how did he know? You know, if a friend invited me to church and I heard that sermon, I would have punched my friend for, you know, telling him everything that about my life. But God knew and he knew. And, and then it says in verse 21, and Saul answered and said, 
Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? Am my family the least of all the families of the tribe of, of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me like this? Now, does that sound like from Saul's own mouth, somebody who's prideful or somebody who's humble? It's pretty humble, right? I'm the least of, in my family and, and my tribe is the least of all the tribes. Why would you speak to me that way? And, and Saul is genuinely humble in the beginning of his life, in the beginning of his call to be the king of Israel. He's not going to end this way. But, you know, I, I think this is one of the characteristics. I just want to highlight this quickly and we're almost done. We're just going to finish nine and we'll be done. Um, one of the characteristics that God uses is humility. And if you think God uses you because of your gift or your talent, and you may have a gift or a talent, I want you to know that's not why God uses you. He, he'd rather use somebody who, who feels inadequate, feels like they're not up to the task. You know, I like the, the phrase, and I've you know, used it a lot, but it's God is not looking for ability. God is looking for availability. And, and more, God is looking for somebody who's going to show up and somebody who is, is not there and, you know, not relying on their own skill and their own gift. And, you know, Moses, when God called Moses, what, you know, almost to the point where it got too far in Moses's life. But Moses had an amazing call of God. And when Moses came to God and said, I'm going to use you, Moses said, don't use me, use Aaron. I can't even speak. You know, and, and I, I don't want to be used. And, and he kept going and to the point where God finally allowed um, Aaron to speak for him at times. But it's a quality that you see all the way through the Bible that God is looking for. It's for people who are humble. People who, when God calls them, don't say, yeah, well, it's about time. Wait till they get a load of this. You know, the story of the pastor who who was starting his new job at a church and he just couldn't wait for everybody to hear the message that he had prepared and finally get his opportunity to show everybody who he was. And, you know, he was so proud and he was so boasting how he was going to rock the house and the message today. And he, he came up, you know, down and strutted his stuff as he got behind the pulpit. And, you know, he began to preach and his notes fell off the stage and he was stumbling and he was nervous and he couldn't talk. And, and then finally he just, closed his Bible and kind of strashed his notes up and, and put him under his arm and put his head down and walked out the back of the church. And some wise old man at the back of the church said, if you had walked in the way you walked out, your message would have been great. And, and being that just humble. And so we see that here with Saul and, and listen, God is, God is not God. The thing that God is concerned about is that when he uses you, that, that he gets the glory. God is absolutely a glory hog, right? And he's not looking for people that when he's done, you're going to look at yourself or your own skill or your own gift. But if something goes really well, you know, that's why he takes a punk kid from the street, you know, with no dad and, 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 and no skills and gifts in life. And he says, well, maybe I can use him because at least he'll know that if something good happens, it wasn't him when it was done. It was by the grace of God and, and, and only because of the grace of God. And so, um, God, God's looking for that. One of the qualities in, in men and women that God uses is, is men and women that are humble. And so Saul's very humble in the beginning. And then in verse 22, and Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about 30 people. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with the upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, 
For until this time, it has been kept for you since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they had ate, when they and when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house and they arose early. And it was about the draw dawning dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on top of the house saying, get up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose and both of them went outside he and Samuel and they were going down to the outskirts of the city. And Samuel said to Saul, tell the servants to go on ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce you to you the word of God. 